We're still working out the details, but when we were going through worship training at the seminary and talking about shaping worship and all the things, we were we were very uh, carefully reminded that um, good music can carry bad preaching, but bad music cannot carry good preaching. Bad preaching. Fool me once, shame on me. <laughs> Fool me twice. <laughs> I know that what musicians do draws together perhaps what I say in ways that I can't for them. And I'm grateful for the gifts that our musicians bring in the ways that they preach the gospel in the music that they share. I'm grateful. Um, and now I have officially, for the first time in the longest time, had bacon three mornings in a row. <laughs> Right? And, and I'll be sending my cardiology bills to Family Fest, care of Pete Larson. Another story that came out this week, and you probably, maybe you've all heard it by now, but um, Craig and Sarah Norton, where we were chatting, and they said, where do you guys live? I said, I live in Minnetonka. And they said, oh, we live in Minnetonka. Where do you live? I said, well, kind of Excelsior Boulevard, Baker Road here. Oh, wow, we live just down there. We're in the townhomes by Shady Oak. Oh, yeah, okay. And we were talking. Where, where are you guys? Well, we're right, you know, kind of over up just south of Excelsior. She, wait, 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 wait. Did you buy Ridgeway Drive? We just moved. So in August, we bought this house. And we, just, we lived in that house for five years. <laughs> well, and, and then Pete was standing there at the time. And Pete said, I helped move their stuff. In fact, I left a scratch in your living room floor. <laughs> so I'm going to go home and write his name on. And he said, whenever you see that scratch, pray for Pete. There are so many incredible, wonderful, powerful connections uh, that happen when God's people get together and we're, we're connected to each other in ways we don't even know and can never imagine. If we continued these conversations, we would learn a whole lot more about that. Um, I'm grateful for this time together with you. Whenever I, whenever I do have um, chances to talk in front of people, which is probably, is a, is a lot, it's often, it's been a lot over the course of my life. And I'm always reminded of what Jerry Seinfeld, comedian, said about public speaking, he said, you know, the, the two largest, greatest human fears, the first, the first and great is, is public speaking. And, and the second is death. <laughs> and he says, so at any given funeral, the one in the pulpit giving the eulogy would rather be the one in the casket. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but it's kind of funny. And what I appreciate about this group here is there's, there's, a, there's such a generosity of listening here. You, you have been so generous in your listening that you're attentive and, and you believe that what we do together here matters in all the ways that we share it. So I appreciate that. I thank you for your generous listening. Um, and in the vein of someone who's up in front of people a lot, um, there's always the, the greatest sinful risk is pride, um, that I begin to take some sort of credit for what I'm doing or... And uh, so, so, so that, that would, would not become an issue for me. God gave me a big sister. And, and big sisters are there to make sure younger brothers stay in their place, right? It's, it's from, and, and, that, and in the growing up years, that was just terrible. Some of you have any big, and so some, it was terribly annoying, you know, growing up. It was just to kind of, oh, if I ever got inflated at all. You know, the feet were just cut right out from under me. I mean, things that, like this, this is the kind of things that happened. Like, I remember I was maybe eight years old and my sister had learned this new trick about sort of a gymnastics trick. And you'd get on a, your 
hands and your feet up against the wall, you learn how to do a handstand with your, not a headstand, a handstand, so your head off the ground and, and you could do that with a partner and your partner would help you to do that handstand and so they'd hold your feet while you went up, you know, onto the wall and they hold and you get used to, uh, get your bearings like that, you know, my, so I, I, I'm going along, I'm the little brother, right? This is what little brothers do. So I got my feet on the wall, she's home and she goes, boop, doosh, <laughs> right? My, little, my, my sister did that to me. And, and over the course of my life, she's been there in amazing ways along the way to help me to remember who I am and to remember where I come from and who I come from and all the people that have been along my pathway to help me be wherever I am doing what I'm doing. And so if uh, you want to, you have a picture that you can post. This is when, um, <laughs> that's my confirmation photo. Um, when I was installed at Normandale Lutheran Church in 2010, my life really kind of came in some ways full circle, although the circle's not done yet, so there's more full circle to come, I'm sure, that I don't know. And uh, there, were two, there were two prominent and important people in the circle of Normandale Lutheran Church that came back around in my life. And one of them was on the call committee. His name is Dr. Lloyd Svensby. He just died this past March. And he was the president of Luther Seminary in St. Paul when I was a student there. And, and I always thought it was a good idea that the president of your higher institutions of learning didn't know who you are because it's probably, you know, better just stay under the wire a little bit. And so I didn't really ever get to know him. And there he was at my call committee table. And uh, the second person that was there in the congregation was Dr. Ed Lindell, who was the president of Gustavus Adolphus College when I was a student there. So now I'm back in the circle, I've, and, I'm, and I didn't get to know him either, so that, and that was just good fortune probably. But <laughs> the reality of it was, I, I could have never imagined these two gentlemen now becoming part of my life in the congregation. I'm now their pastor, right? So I invite them in for a cup of coffee, and they're in, sitting in my office, and we started into a conversation. I said, you know, that's, before we get any further with this, let, I have to be honest with you. I said, no, 25 years ago, there was nowhere any remote imagination that I had that one day the two of you would be sitting in my office. <laughs> this is just flat out. This is weird, right? Because I'm that guy, right? I mean, this is, this is the truth about who I am. I'm, the, I'm that 15-year-old kid who has braces in his mouth and won't open enough to smile. And I got my hair pulled down over my face because I really don't want anyone to see me, right? Because that's, that's what we're doing at that point. And I have one, I have one lapel out. Of, and, <laughs> and you think that's an accident, but no, that's a fashion statement. And then in front of me is my confirmation cake. And on that is the passage that reads, where he leads, I will follow. And... <laughs> Clearly, I had no idea what that meant, right? Not a chance, a clue of what that meant for me. But I'll tell you why I have that picture. I have that picture because after my installation, I received a, a card and a letter from my wife, or not my wife, from my big sister, because that's who I started with here. And my big sister sent me a card at my office, and inside there was that picture, right? How, where did she find it, and how long did she have it? right? She was waiting because big, big sisters are smart, right? They know the, there's a right time for me to send this. And she said, on your installation day with love and pride, the enclosed pictures are included to remind you of those who helped you get where you are. And so also, so you remember where you come from. Um, now she knows how to keep me in the right place. Right? Not just to put me in my place, 
but to help me remember who I am. She's, she, 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 the other thing she said to me when I was ordained, the one thing she said to me was, just don't ever become mature. I've never forgotten that, right? And so far I've been successful. <laughs> right? But, but, but what she meant was, don't, don't take yourself so seriously, right? You're no more, no more important. It was one of those words of, you know, keep you in your place, know who you are, and remember who you are. And she's been a wonderful, constant reminder to me of that. So there are a couple other, there are other, it's not only remember who you are, but from whom you come, right? So there's my mom and dad with my, what is that grin on my face? You know, this is like, oh my gosh, that 70s show. And then those are my godparents, and they liked plaid. Yep, they had plaid, and that was good. And this, and my grandma and grandpa, right? And that's my grandpa who stood in the window and waited, waited for me. The Lord be with you. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, you teach us how to remember that you are our God and we are your people. You teach us to remember all the people you set along our pathway who seek to show us your face and to serve our best interests. You teach us to remember that you brought your son to this world to suffer for us on the cross, to take it all upon himself, that we might leave it behind and be set free. For all of it, we give you thanks. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Once upon a time, which is how all good stories begin, God decided to make a child. And God said, I'm gonna love that child. And I wanna make sure that nothing ever hurts that child. I wanna protect that child and provide for all that that child needs. But God looked up and could see nothing up above to protect the child for something falling down upon that child. And so God went up high above high, up above up, and cast across a big blue dome called the firmament. God said, I'm going to make a child. And I'm going to love that child. And I don't want anything ever to hurt that child. But when God looked down, all God could see was water. There was water everywhere. And God thought, I don't know if that child can swim. So God went down and took a great big God foot and stomped back the water and said, seas, stay where you are. And God cut a wide swath through the land and made the rivers. And God put all of the lakes in a place called Minnesota. And God looked around and saw that it was good. God said, I'm going to make a child. And I'm going to love that child. And I make sure that child's going to have everything that it needs. God looked around and saw the land and said, what will the child eat? So God got down in the soil of the earth and began to bring forth plants and trees that would provide all that that child needed. And there were apple trees and orange trees. There were golden maple trees with a million seeds. God provided all that the child would need. 
But God looked around and saw that there were no companions for the child. So God went back high above high, up above up, and said to the big blue dome, swarm, and out popped the birds of the air. There were the little chickadees in their chirping, and there was the sweet song sparrow sound, the cardinal whispering the morning awake, the blue jay fighting with all of the other birds and the great caw of the crow and at the very top of the blue dome was the eagle with his slant eye facing toward the earth, soaring through the blue firmament. And then God went back over to the sea and said the wonderful word again, swarm, and out popped the fish. And there were the little minnows with their teeny eyes. And there was the great sea leviathan sporting about for the joy of God. And all of the creatures were brought forth. Because I'm going to make a child. And I'm going to love that child. And I'm going to give that child dominion over all that I have made. So that it might live together in the harmony that I see. God went back into the land and brought forth the animals, the creatures that would lope about across the earth. God brought forth the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh my. God brought forth those domesticated animals, the cats and the dogs, so the child would have someone to play with. And there was the great bear loping across the land in the joy of God. And God looked down and saw that it was good. And as God was admiring all that God had made, the eagle with its slant eye facing toward the earth looked down and said to God, where is it? And the Leviathan great sea monster sporting about for the joy of God looked over to God and said, where is it? And the loping bear across the earth looked at God and said, where is it? And God said, where is what? And together in perfect sound, they said, where is the child? God said, wait. I'm not finished just yet. So God got down in the murky, mucky soil along Gull Lake and began to pull forth from the soil, the clay, the mud that came together with the water of the lake and pretty soon, boop, out popped a top, round thing on the top. And then boop, boop, two long things on the side and soon enough the long stretching legs were at the bottom and the animals looked at it and said it looks like a statue is that it God said wait a minute I'm not done yet so God got in real close and began to craft in the ways only God can do and brought forth the eyes and the nose and the mouth and the ears and put the senses into the child. And God said, I'm going to make a child. I'm going to love that child. And I'm not going to ever let anything hurt that child. And then God got real close, so close that God breathed 
the very spirit and life of God into the child and the lungs began to breathe in and out, in and out, 30,000 respirations a day. And with it came the heartbeat, boom, 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 a hundred thousand times a day. And the child took on life. And God said, I'm going to make a child and I don't want anything ever to hurt that child. And God got so close, so close. God kissed the child. And now the eagle, the sea monster, the bear, and all of the creatures sitting along the shoreline of Go Lake were looking on and they were seeing God's tears and they said, why is God crying? Is God happy? Or is God sad? God said, I'm happy. And as the tears of God fell down upon the face of the child, they both shone with the same holy light. And God poked the child in the arms and said, I put strength in there. Do the work that I call you to. And God poked the child in the legs and said, I put speed in there. Walk, run. And God poked the child in the chest and said, I put love in there. Love me, child. Just as I love you spitting image spirit and image of God you are fearfully and wonderfully made yesterday at the end of our morning session, we had four questions up there, statements, conversations. I want to get you back to them because they are about what you see in your children, the eyes of God in you, to see into them the emerging strengths, the beautiful gifts, to name them and claim them and carry and bear them for them until they're ready to embrace them themselves. So what I'd like you to do is right now, right away, get into your small groups and begin again upon that work. And then we'll come back together. Thanks for listening. If I could interrupt uh, mid-conversation for just a little bit. Um, I was thinking about, how, you're doing, this is, some of this is the work of parenting and you're developing a sense of that groundedness and the values you hold that drive the parenting that you do, um, the faith that you have, the God you trust in who informs you, speaks to you regularly about what these needs are in your children's lives. Um, and I know, I was just thinking about that, one of the ways that Lisa and I do this is uh, we, when we go for walks. I, I can, there are just endless conversations. Every time we go for a walk, it seems to be about a child. You know, it could be one of the four and it's just what's needed in that time. Um, 
And so we kind of work that out. I realize that we don't, it's not formalized, it's just what we do. And, and it's like the teamwork of parenting and what's your perspective, what are you seeing, what are, what's going on, how do you think about, you know, we go, there's just a back and forth about, about then what, how will we parent, you know, in response to what that is. I remember especially, you know, one walk where, I told somebody this last night, I don't remember where I was standing, but that we were on a walk and we were saying, you know, God, it just seems like all four of them are just in a good place, you know, right now. And we were just kind of glowing in the, what seemed to be on track, you know, and then the next day, I keep, like, boom! <laughs> you know, and we looked at each other and said, don't ever say that again, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, it, I kid you not, it was like all four of them blew up in a day, you know, like, huh. I would, so, the, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you're just not there. I mean, you're never there. You're just kind of doing this all the way along and just keep, keep working at it, fumbling along. But, but I'm curious to hear from the group because that, that fourth one, did you get to talk at all about the, I mean, I didn't, I put them one through four, but I don't know if you got to number four um, or you maybe didn't pay any attention to the board and we're talking about whatever it was, you independent people, you, and, but, but I'm curious about that one a little bit, uh, as, as because it's still something I'm trying to learn about. And here's, some, and, here's a, and here's a motivator. So I shared a little bit about my aging parents, and Lisa has aging parents, and we're, we're, we're both the third children in our families, and so our parents said, and so all four of our parents fell apart at the very same time. Which, you know, five, we looked at a picture at Joshua's wedding six years ago, and all four of them were just looking like this, you know, pictures, blah, blah, blah. The last, and they, they've just gone all four at the same time. So it's been a huge part of the, I don't want to be a burden. So we're now serving all four of these burdens at the very same time in some fashion as we've been going pat through the past years. And, and one of the realities was this. We, we started to learn that, you know, as we, I talked about parenting your parents, and I, and I realized they, they hadn't handed any of this on to us in their own spirits and souls because the generation before us lived into the independence of our ability to take care of my, you know, the greatest generation, you know, it's that kind of, and, and so they had never really realized, in fact, I don't know if you asked my mom this today, I'm talking out of school, right, don't tell her I said, but she, she would still think she's my mom, and, and she knows more about what's needed than I do, and that is just not true, like, it's just literally not at all true, and so there was some sense of, what, what did we miss? What, what didn't we do? What can keep moving, happening? And so we started saying, well, what does that mean for us in raising our kids? So we started to realize we need to begin now. You don't just get, I, I, trust me, you don't get to be 80 years old and then go, okay, now I'm ready. I'll just hand it over to my kid, right? You start trusting them. You start, when you start seeing their strengths, you realize they have so much power and strength that you don't have. And, and all of a sudden, they become alongside you. But you have to let them come alongside you. You have to step back and you have to trust their emerging strength. And you also have to, you also have to reveal your, your vulnerability. Because it's, we, we are sort of shaped to think, well, I'm the dad, you know. I'm supposed to know everything. <laughs> no, you don't. I told all the JCs yesterday, just, I'll, I'll give you a heads up. KCs, excuse me, I call I think I called them Casey's yesterday, but whatever I called them, I called them. And, but I told, I told them, I said, just so you know, they don't have it all, your parents, they don't have it all figured out. So just FYI, the egg's broken open. <laughs> 
all right? And I started to talk with him. Exactly. <laughs> Matt's done with me now. All right. <laughs> but the truth shall set you free. All right? So, so I'm playing around with number four right now at this point in my life because I believe it's in the design. The full circle of where we come from, I, I, I'm going there. I don't have, I can't turn it around now. And so I, I, I want them, I want to be doing that. So what if you, if you think about that from the whole room, not in just in your small groups, what do you have to say to that one? Anybody? Please. Jonathan, thank you. I appreciate your sharing that. And uh, you have been a power to your dad. And, and, and what I lift up in that is, is all of you, uh, your children, I mean, they know you far better than you give them credit, right? So they're, they're sponging you. And so treat them as brilliant as they are to, to know and understand you and, and be beside you in ways. You've been great power to him. Anyone else before I step forward? Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I know some of you know. Uh, this is our third year, and uh, in between last year, January, and this year, uh, on March 6th, my father. Yeah, they are those young lives that are given and trusted to us are capable beyond measure and can be alongside us and support us when we need it as well as we in turn do for them. I'd like to, if I might, just shift gears a little bit toward um, some concluding reflections about grace. And uh, kind of starting with three stories and then a, a scripture passage that just sinks it deep for me. I've already shared a little bit about my grandfather who, uh, my grandfather was the exhibition of grace. He, he was um, the living presence of God's grace for me just in how he was with me and, and giving his, when I was with him. And, and all the grandchildren say this, so it wasn't like it was just me, but whenever, we, whenever you were with him, you were the most important person in the world. And all the grandchildren say that. He just had this ability to ooze that kind of grace and attention. And he was a superintendent of schools in Winona, Minnesota. And I later learned about him in his work that when, as a superintendent of schools, he would go around to each school, especially in the elementary ages. Reading to him was just so important. And so he would, he would try, as, as I was told, to go alongside every child in first grade at their desk and say, read to me, read to me, read to me, and, and trying to make sure every single child in his district could read. And when I would go to his house and spend time, as I said, he always had an apron on and he was cooking. And I, I, I mean, I, I kid you not, I'd be the only one there. I'd get to go visit him by myself sometimes. And, and he would make a pound of bacon just for me. So this, so this weekend, I've been in training all my life for it. 
and I'm doing very well. But it, I mean, I always found that was so elaborate, you know, it was so abundant. It was so extravagantly over the top. They have an entire pound of bacon made just for me. And then I had sugared cereal whenever I wanted and I'd pop all day long and a malt at the end of the day. And it's like, and so he has trained me how to be a grandpa. I mean, I'm, and I've always thought if anybody did something well out in front of me, I'm going to do it just a little bit better. So my grandkids are just eating sugar cereal for the rest of their lives. I, I told Lisa, she's like, she's getting a crib and she's getting a stroll. You know, all these actual practical things that you need. I say, I want one of those little spinning sugar cereal things where you dispense. <laughs> You know, and it's just going to be on the counter anytime they come through. We're going to have milk and sugar. So I don't care what time of day it is. So he was that living and abundant, abundant grace for me. But I also remember a time I was probably, I think I was 16 years old. And no, I know I was 16 years old. And uh, I was getting together with my buddies for a game of poker at Murph's house. And Murph lived about a half a mile from, yeah, and some of you might, I, I, I'll only say Murph, because if you, I, I'm not going to call anybody out. It wasn't really Murph's fault. I take it all myself. And so I got into the uh, 1976 uh, Catalina wagon. It was a big, huge brown vehicle with a V8 engine. You know, it was the family vehicle of 1976. And I, and I drove that car over to Murph's house, and I got started playing poker. And, and we, you know, we played it was pretty tame. It was nickels and dimes and whatever. But what I can on this particular night, it was going my way. You know, like all, all it was all coming my way, and the coins were piling up. I was losing track of time, and it was going. And and I, they were competitive friends. So if you were winning, you were just gonna gloat, and you were gonna keep going. And and it, you know, you and if you play any if you play any poker, you know it's pro, not proper to quit while you're way ahead, right? Because you got to keep you know allow people a chance. But I just kept. And the clock, you know, whatever my curfew was at that point, went by a long, you know, long way by. And so, pretty soon, you know, I I had forgotten my mom and dad. I had forgotten who I was. I'd forgotten where I came from. I was lost in the moment of the evening. And so, pretty soon, the clock was reading 3 a.m. Oh. Yeah, oh, was right. And so I, <laughs> I got back into the Catalina wagon with a V8 engine and headed for home. And I, you know, I'm trying to sneak into the house. So I'm going to be really quiet. I'm going to try to figure, you know, but, and I did still at that point, I remember, you know, I was supposed to open the bedroom door and say, I'm home. You know, I'm thinking three, I ain't saying that. I'm, I'm hoping there's a glitch in the rules or something. And so I, I, I'm coming to the house and I sneak through the kitchen from the back and I'm going, I'm turning to go up the stairway to the bedroom, and, I, and I, I'm about at the stairway, you know, from out of the corner of the shadows of the living room, I hear this voice that says, what, is this, what does this voice say? Where have you been? Right? It's like, uh-oh, you know, there's somebody sitting there. Who might that be? How odd that it's 3 a.m. and somebody's awake in the corner of the living room, right? And so, and I think, of course, it's my mom. My dad slept, and, and so now... Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad, because I sleep now. And Lisa's, uh, she's the where have you been. So, I'm in, so my mom's in the corner, and where have you been? And I just stopped at the bottom of the steps. And it was, then the next one was this. For all I knew, in a ditch. Right? These are in the parent training manual, these statements, Right? For all I knew, you were dead in a ditch. And, you know, and I actually had the 16-year-old thought. I was like, Mom, I was at Murph's. It's not that far away. And there are no ditches, really, you know. <laughs> I withheld that thought. I did. I didn't say a thing. I was, it was good, wasn't it? I didn't even respond. I just, I, at that point, I hadn't even turned around. This was all still coming to, to the back of my head as I was. 
one step up. So, and, and finally I, I did, and she started walking toward me, right? Walking toward me. And I'm thinking, I don't know, what comes next? <laughs> you know, I'm not going anywhere. This is a good place just to freeze. And so she's walking toward me. She comes up and she gives me a hug. And she, squeezed, she almost squeezed the breath out of me, right? And then, and then she sunk it. This is law and gospel. She said, we will talk about this morning yes right (laughs) matt has heard this story yeah lived it right we so it's it's this it's this wonderful gracious hug and then it's we will talk about this in the morning it's like oh man i got nothing like i just i'm going to bed you know right so but but in that is this grace you know, this love and this gospel and this law and this power and all of it in one fell swoop that I will never, ever forget because I'm a church guy. I grew up in the church. I was still, but I didn't, I don't think I had yet understood grace. My grandfather lived it. My mother told it. And then I got to college and I was in my second year of study. I was in, I was in a religion class. I was a business major taking religion courses. <laughs> I was trying to figure it out. I was bumping up against life. And I was in religion class with Professor Jack, Jack Clark at Gustavus, and I was taking a class on the letters of Paul, and we were studying Romans. And um, this was one of those classes that very few took. You got, Professor Jack Clark was that intimidating sort of Ivy League kind of professor who just happened to land in St. Peter, Minnesota. And, and, I, and people avoided him because he was so brilliant that you just, you didn't, he was intimidating all the time. He kind of that hooked nose. He had those big black glasses. He, was, he looked more like a linebacker than a professor. And, and he was just an unbelievably intimidating guy. And so here I am sitting in this class and I'm naive beyond belief about what I'm getting into here. So we're going to study the book of Romans. And, and somewhere along the way, because it was sort of a seminar class, there were only eight of us, we had to be part of, it was a participatory thing. So we were presenting. So I, he said, okay, we're going to take a chapter and you're each going to do your research background, blah, blah. I had chapter one. So that meant I had to go first. And so I was, I got to the class that day and I, so I'm trying to explicate Romans chapter one for the people. And I don't know what I'm doing. I've been a church guy, but this, was, I, this part I didn't get. I wasn't doing thinking <laughs> confirmation. I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention, perhaps. But I was there, and I, was ta- I have no idea what I said. I, I, well, I told you I don't remember what I say anyway, but I didn't. I really don't remember how I was trying to. All I remember was that somewhere along the way, he interrupted me, and he stopped me. <laughs> like, stop. And he said, you have missed the point all together. I can It's like, I want to go slither under the table and be gone, right? And he started to talk about justification by grace through faith, all right? And then he said, and did you not read Romans 1, 17, that the righteous shall live by faith? 
This is the foundation of our faith in Jesus Christ, that it's not by our own understanding or effort or not by our merits or not by our works or not by anything that we do that God saves us, but God through Jesus Christ instills faith in us. In the absolutely most ungracious way, I heard it <laughs> through Jack Clark. I, I had this like, ah, moment where I thought, I don't have to do anything? You mean God loves me anyway? I don't have to get it all right? I don't have to be perfect? I was trying so hard. I was trying so hard, and I just couldn't get it right. And Jack Clark, in this incredibly ungracious way, opened my heart and my mind to receive grace. I remember walking out of the, the old main at Gustavus that day, and the sun was shining, but it was shining in an entirely new way. I was like set free in like a moment. I'd been in church all my life, and some, but I wasn't ready. And that's why I realized we have to proclaim this over and over and over again because I don't know when people are ready to hear it. God loves you just as you are and there is nothing you could ever do to cause God to love you anymore and there's nothing you could ever do to cause God to love you any less. It's all grace. And I still forget. I think that's what, and I remember thinking as I walked out of there, I have to tell people this. <laughs> and I think that's when God said, aha, right, I got him. Right, because I need to tell it because I forget. So here I am. I'm telling me while I'm telling you. Fast forward to my son Joshua, my, my guru of childhood parent learning, and he's 13 years old. And I'm coaching his baseball team. And so we were, uh, we were in the end of the season regular getting ready for the playoffs and so Joshua was my pitcher my first pitcher on the team and we were going to practice a little early that day getting ready for practice and we got out on the field and we started playing catch and we're throwing and I you know I still wanted to pitch I still was you know what I've said to my congregations you know I'm I'm in this for the long haul um, but just so you're aware if the twins ever call I'm out of here That's supposed to be funny, actually, but so far, right? So far, it hasn't happened. So we're good. But so I'm with Joshua. So I said, "Can I throw to you a little bit?" And he says, "Sure." You know, he gets the catcher's mitt on. I get on the mound, and I'm throwing. I'm throwing a bit. He's doing fine. He's doing fine. He's doing fine. I'm thinking, you know, guys, oh, I got a little bit in the arm. I'm bringing it. I'm throwing a little harder, a little harder. You know, pretty soon I'm just like, I'm cutting it loose, and I throw it hard, and it hits him wrongly on the thumb. It's just like that jammed thumb catch and he drops the glove. I think I, I broke his thumb. And, I, and so I go into complete guilt remorse mode. Like, I'm Joshua, I'm so sorry. I'm stupid, what did I do that for? You got a game tomorrow. You got a... I'm on and on and on, right? Practice goes on. We get back in the car. I start in again. I'm so sorry, Josh. That was just stupid. Why did I do that? I was like, you should, you, I should have been thinking about you. He just stopped. Stop. Like Jack Clark. Stop talking. 
And he said, Dad, stop being so hard on yourself. Because when you're hard on yourself, you're hard on everybody else. <laughs> right? I forget. Grace. It's all grace. So the story goes. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Wait a minute, I have to read the first part. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So basically, the younger son was asking for his father to be dead. He wanted his inheritance. The father complied. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there the son squandered his property in dissolute living. And when the son had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So the younger son went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. No Jewish boy would have ever been around the pigs. They were unclean. And this boy would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when the boy came to himself, it's like he was looking in the mirror and he saw himself completely as he was, right? The broken, sinful son of his father he could see. And when he came to himself, it's like the... When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and he went toward home to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. I imagine this younger boy coming down the road and he's rehearsing this deal, right? He's got the right words to say. He's coming home at three o'clock in the morning, right? And he's got the right, he's planning, like what am I, ah, ah, father, I've sinned against, I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired hands. Father, I have sinned before you and I am no longer worthy. I, he's rehearsing this thing, right? He's trying to get, he's gonna get these confessional words right. But while he was still far off, right? The word there is macron in the Greek, far off. The word is macron. And it, the other place that macron is used is at the cross. When the followers of Jesus were macron, they were, they were at a distance. They couldn't, they couldn't get close for fear of their own lives. And while he was still far off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Forgiveness comes before the confession. <laughs> the father isn't even very worried about the confession. The father's already run forward and found him down the road and kissed him. He went running. And adults in that day didn't run. It was embarrassing. It was an undignified thing to do. And the father ran down the road in the midst of his village, completely embarrassing himself, subjecting him to the ridicule of all who watched in order to embrace and kiss his son. He had compassion before the son even confessed. And so, so after the confession, the father doesn't even acknowledge it. He doesn't even respond. He just turns to everybody else and says this. He says, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. It's all grace. All of God to us is grace. And we, in turn, can be that to others. First and foremost, to the little lives that God has entrusted to us. The Lord be with you. Let's pray. We say it out loud, God, because it's hard for us even to believe it. That you would so pour out your life for us. That you would give it all away through your son. That you would go to the cross. That we might know your love. Your heart so broken open and your love and blood poured out that we might hear it. That you are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let that sink into us. So for all of the places and the ways in this weekend that we have opened our hearts to you, fill us with grace. Fill us with your love. that for all of our days, with every breath we take and every beat of our heart, 
we might reflect your grace and glory to the world as we offer our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.